Well, good morning, church. It's a joy. It's 2021, and with the new year, and this is the first Sunday of 2021, we do want to spend a little bit of time briefly just being reminded of who we are and where God is directing us. As our church has been scattered, and this Sunday gathering is really one of our, our major avenues of connection point for those of you who come in the parking lots to connect. And then for many of you, you worship online, you're connecting from home to the larger body. Uh, but the majority of our ministries remain online uh, in smaller groups or different various platforms like fellowships that go on Friday night and so forth. And so, therefore, it's, it's good to be reminded of how the Lord has given us a vision to be a vibrant church of disciple makers, because when the church is scattered, we need to remember that there is something that holds us together uh, as a, an organization. Uh, we have God's word, but, but we, directed, we are directed by God in a certain way. And during 2020, what we're reminded of more than anything that stood out is probably our indicators that each and every day we do have to get up and decide that we're going to love God passionately because all of us, to some degree, has had our faith tested because the regular routines of, of the spiritual life that God has ordained for us was thrown out of order. And we have to be reminded to love our families and love the people, and especially those who are lost in the Lord that God has placed in our lives passionately because we cannot take any life for granted. We understand that because of COVID-19. And we understand loving passionately admits uh, a nation of polarization and different viewpoints. We are also tested in our faith. You know, COVID-19 calls us to live authentically, that each and every day it's becoming more and more clear uh, which Christians have their faith solely hanging on the thread of simply attending church service. And when that's taken away, it's really a test of the daily faith, of how we continue to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've been challenged to live authentically as disciple makers. We've been challenged to give generously, God by his grace through all of you, in a time where we are economically challenged. Our church has continued to sustain our financial giving, and that's because God is working through his people. God is sustaining his church. It's one thing to say God is sovereign, because that is true, and God is providential, that is true, but God through all of the scriptures, works through his people. And because of your generous giving, we continue to be able to support our, our mission partners, our missionaries. We continue to support our, our staff and the ongoing ministries. And we're able to complete this building, which I think God is going to call us to account for, to steward not just for ourselves, but for the lost and for disciple-making. And we are called each and every day to go courageously. For some of you, this may not be going outside of your home. God has completely transformed how many of us do work and how many of us commute. Uh, I, I did pray for a long time that God would fix the traffic situation in L.A. I never wanted it to be COVID-19. But, but God has changed a lot. People are moving away from the inner city where they no longer need to be closer uh, to the city because of, of work from home. And so what does going courageously mean each and every day? And a lot of times it is having that emotional strength to believe. It is having the hard conversations to reconcile differences of the people that you see way too often, which are your family and your loved ones. It is to have the difficult conversations. It is to continue to believe in him if you uh, have COVID or if you are uh, dealing with lost and loved ones. Well, today 
Well, what I've done is uh, I know that uh, uh, due to the surge, naturally, that our attendance would be a little lower. Uh, I, I understand this. I know that some, uh, many of you are joining us at home, but some of you will be seeing this later. But I prayed specifically, asking that in this week, knowing that uh, there are some of you in this parking lot and some of you watching at home, that you've seen God take their life this week. That, they've, that there's some godly, good, God-fearing people that Jesus has taken. And so in my application, I've specifically prepared that message for you. And I hope that you hear this, that why does God take good and godly people? Way too young, why? People like Paul, Peter, Jesus himself went home at, and went to the cross 33 years old. Spurgeon died way too young, Calvin. Why is it that the spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that we look up to, why is it that many of them, God takes them home early? And why does he allow sinners to live? I hope to answer that in our application, so stick with us till the end. I've entitled our sermon this morning, Fatherly Love for a Fractured Church. Fatherly love for a fractured church. We're continuing our study of 1 Corinthians, and we've explained that the Corinthian church was ravaged by factions and divisive individuals. So I'm not going to go back and rehash what you can find on our YouTube channel because we've explained over and over again the divisiveness and some of the division, and we'll continue to see this go forth in the weeks to come as we make our way through the epistle. But today, what I want you to see, that Paul appeals to the Corinthians, not with the rod of a taskmaster, but with the love of a spiritual father. The Corinthians were children of God, but like children, they were fighting over which leaders to follow and which spiritual gifts to elevate. It was an issue of immaturity. Having spiritual gifts like toys, but not knowing how to share them, not knowing how to bless one another, and not knowing how to use them. Not understanding the spiritual gifts are better, better enjoyed when they're expressed and shared. No, not understanding that God gives the church not one gifted leader, but many gifted leaders. Not so that we praise and elevate them, but so that we see the beauty of how God creates unity through diversity. And so the picture of Paul as a spiritual father is quite remarkable. It's quite remarkable as a testimony because prior to his conversion, Paul was not a spiritual father. You could easily read Paul and say he had a serious problem with anger pre-conversion. And we know that as Christians, even though Jesus changes our hearts and he grows us, that sometimes those seeds are still there because he's sanctifying us. So you could see naturally Paul sitting there with his pen, breaking his pen in anger, writing these letters. But that's not what we see. He comes not coming down hard at them like, I am the apostle, you better listen to me, but as a spiritual father. And you could see that Paul's heart was changed. A man who made his aim in the joy of putting Christians in prison and murdering Christians a first century terrorist, instead 
You could see the love bleeding out of the pen as he wrote, as he poured his emotions onto the letters and the canvas that would be composed as this letter of 1 Corinthians. And this is because Paul encountered Christ, and he wanted the Corinthians, as they encountered him, he wanted them to encounter Christ. His heart was transformed. Remember the other thing that God uses a lot of times to train leaders is that when you're a parent, not everybody is called to be a parent, and that's okay. But all of us are called to be parents if you see what I'm saying. Is the one way that God calls us to understand His heart, the heart of God the Father, is to call us to reproduce disciples, to be disciple makers. And when you make spiritual children through the power of the Spirit, you do learn the heartache and the love and the joy and the reward of being, being like God the Father, being a spiritual father. We're all called to be disciple makers. We're all called to be spiritual parents. But then there are some of you and some of us who've been called to be biological parents, and it is tiring, and it is heart-wrenching at times, but there's also reward and joy. And if you can understand that, you see the tenderness of, of God the Father. And so remember Paul. Paul was single. Historically, it's, it's recorded there's no, he had no children. He was never married. He had no biological children. But he had the heart of a father because he had many spiritual children. Now, I have to say this in our society today. I purposely entitled the sermon Fatherly Love, Not, paternal, not Parental Love. I understand that many of you will cancel me for that because I use the masculine, because he is using the masculine. When I say spiritual father this morning, this has nothing to do with gender. This isn't to say the spiritual mother, mothers aren't needed. But there's a time in the life of the church where you need all the tenderness of the aunties. But there are certain times where you're going to see in 1 Corinthians people in sin, sexual immorality. I want you to think of a church where there are strong-willed, stubborn, proud, boastful men dividing the church. You could send the aunties of the church. You could send the spiritual mothers. But I would say that that is the time where you don't need the young, angry guy either. You need the presence of wise, loving, spiritual fathers, masculine. Every church needs spiritual fathers, just like every biological home and family needs fathers. There is a role for the spiritual mother. In fact, Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonians, at one point he says, I come to you with gentleness like that of a nursing mother. But in this occasion, because of the Corinthians, he didn't say send the aunties. But he writes to them with the admonishment of a spiritual father, masculine. And that is the tone that we need to see, that we need to see that the Corinthians needed correction, but not arrogant correction, but they needed the, the loving correction of someone that they trusted. 
Someone who they saw and observed his life because not only did Paul plant the church, but he was foundational in the formative years of their faith. All of you have spiritual parents to some, some degree. There are people that you trust to admonish you, not just teachers. He doesn't appeal to them as my spiritual students. He says, my beloved children. There are people who led you to Christ. There are people along the way that God put in your life to guide you when you didn't understand what it meant to be a Christian. And so if there's anyone who you would trust to admonish you and to correct you because you know that they love you, it would be a spiritual father and a spiritual mother. All of us are called to be spiritual parents, but, but this morning we're going to look at the need for spiritual fathers in the church. And especially, you can take that applicationally in the evangelical church. So if you have God's word, please take it and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 14, and I will read to you verse 14, where we see point number one is fatherly admonishment. What does fatherly love look like? The first is fatherly admonishment. Fatherly admonishment. Notice the affection that's flowing out of the pen of the apostle. He writes, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. But I admonish you, not as my students, but as my beloved children, spiritual children, because he had no biological children. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians with some strong words. Warnings and rebuke flowed from this spirit-inspired pen. The Corinthians were sinful indeed. Yet the love of their spiritual father bled out of every single word like excess ink. His motives, his heart exposed on each page. And Paul wrote with what Calvin referred to as paternal affection. We make no apology for the masculine this morning. Notice in verse 14, Paul did not write to make them ashamed. If you're a, if you're a parent... There are times where you need to publicly admonish your children. But your goal, if you're a good parent, is never to shame your children. For example, your child runs across the parking lot. Your child runs into the street. You are going to yell, stop! Come back here right now. You grab them. Other people see. But your purpose is not to shame your child. It's to save them. There are occasions that way. Now, I know, especially in Eastern cultures, there are some parents who shame your children because of their academic failure to achieve your standard. Or sometimes you shame your children. I know that we are not perfect, but that's never the purpose. right? The purpose is always to admonish in love. Now, this word admonish means to warn. It means to guide. It is the root word for where biblical counseling comes from. It's to counsel in order to restore and correct someone. The purpose is to restore back to order what is broken, to bring back what is lost, to correct for the purpose of guidance. 
in the right direction. So the spiritual children would not walk into the traps of sin. And in our society, admonishment is not a popular word, but it is needed so that spiritual children do not dance to the cadence of cultural error. So you see Paul's fatherly heart reflect the heart of God the Father. Now I want you to imagine as a child. As a child, imagine that you are struggling with your faith. And you are ashamed. And you don't want to go to God the Father. Now I want you to imagine you are a child and you're struggling and you don't want to now go to your biological parents. Because either you're struggling with your schoolwork, you're struggling with faith, you're struggling financially, you're struggling with your emotions. You don't want to go talk to your parents because you don't want to be ashamed. You don't want them to shame you. If your parents are good parents, then I tell you that you don't know the heart of your parents. Now, if you're a parent, I want you to think. When you see your child struggling, how would you feel if your child says, I don't want to talk to you because I'm ashamed? You would say as a parent, no, I want you to come talk to me. I don't want you to struggle by yourself. In fact, I want you to come to me. And when you admonish them, it's out of love. This is the heart of God the Father. Any loving parent, any loving father desires for their child to come to them with struggles, to come to them with their messiness, with their sin. No parent is honestly going to say, you need to get your act together, then come to me for help. That's the world. I know there's some parents who might feel that way about your children, but not a good parent, not God the Father, and not Paul the spiritual father. He admonishes them, wanting them to return. Admonishment is for repentance. Repentance is to turn, to return to God. And again, as beloved children, this is out of love. And so the spiritual, the role of a spiritual parent includes this responsibility to admonish, but not to admonish in a way to bring children to shame, but the way where you, if you are a good and godly parent, Your goal is to love and restore and to uphold your children. You want your children to know that they can come to you when they're struggling in their darkest and deepest points in life. Notice now in verse 15, Paul states explicitly that he takes ownership for the Corinthians as spiritual children. Look at verse 15. He says, For though you have countless guides... In Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Notice verse 15, the word countless guides. Paul says you've had countless guides in Christ. Now the Greek word used for guides refers to a caretaker hired by wealthy families in the ancient world. Wealthy families would hire a guide to supervise a child while their parents were not there. Thomas Schreiner, New Testament scholar, comments that the guide, the word guide, was, would describe more, more of a child attendant or a babysitter keeping watch over the child. But during the years of their immaturity, but in the ancient world, the guides would also instruct the children in morality. And this was almost always a paid position. So in a sense, Paul's saying, I am not a paid 
babysitter. I am not a paid moral teacher. I'm not a paid child attendant. I am not a, a glorified child care worker. I'm your spiritual parent. Paul did not see himself as simply a tutor, but he was the one who invested and planted the gospel right into their lives. The Holy Spirit used him, worked through him. I take the view that Paul is using the word guide negatively. Because if he's using countless guides in Christ positively, then some would say he's taking a shot at Apollos or Cephas, but I don't think that's the case. He's not saying that, uh, that Apollos is just your guide in Christ, and Peter was just your guide in Christ, and all your spiritual leaders and pastors are just guides in Christ, but you need to listen to me because I'm your spiritual father. I don't think he's saying that. He's not using spiritual guides in a positive sense. I believe that he's using countless guides in Christ as a negative reference to the divisive leaders and some of the false teachers in Corinth. And he's saying there's plenty of people that come and tell you things about Christ. There's plenty of people who come around and they try to tell you things, but they're just coming like hired hands. They're just coming like paid people. They're not really having to take responsibility for your souls. But he's saying, I became your spiritual father, so please listen to my appeal to you because I take responsibility for your souls. I take responsibility, and this leads us to point number two. So point number one was fatherly admonishment. Point number two is fatherly example. Fatherly example, not only did he, did he teach them the gospel, but he spent time in Corinth living among them so that they could see in their early years what it meant to live like a Christian. Not just how to think like a Christian, but how to live like a Christian. And so verse 16 and 17, he says, I urge you to be imitators of me. And that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. A few things I want you to see before I explain it. First, he tells them to imitate him, right, because he's imitating Christ. Secondly, we see in verse 17 that Paul couldn't come to the Corinthians. He was an apostle. He was busy. At times, he was thrown in prison. At times, he was running for his life. God had sent him on various mission trips, and so he sent his son. And so Paul did not have biological children. He had spiritual children, and he, he poured into Timothy so Timothy would be like him. And so he, he uses this language of spiritual children. He says, my beloved and faithful child. He doesn't say, my student. He doesn't even say, my disciple. He says, Timothy, whom I've discipled, is my spiritual child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ. So yet not I, but through Christ in me. Christ works through people, and we point people to Christ by pointing them to spiritual leaders, but ultimately it's a point to Christ. And thirdly, I want you to notice consistency. He says that there shouldn't be a different doctrine. He says, I, as I teach these you can trust me because I teach these things everywhere. And my disciples, if you will, my spiritual children, they too will teach the same doctrines and strive to live with the same character qualifications. We remember Timothy 
as the recipient of 1 and 2 Timothy, where we receive the qualifications for pastors and deacons. And so you see a consistency that everywhere Paul went, everywhere he taught, every church he planted, he preached the same gospel, preached the same sound reformed doctrine, and, and his disciples also lived according to those doctrines. And that's why you could trust him, because there was consistency. And by God's grace, that consistency of the Pauline faith that was also reflected in others like James, John, and Peter, that was the faith forever passed down through the apostles, the apostolic faith to the saints and to our churches today. So now let's get into it. We see in verse 16 this call to imitate Paul. In today's world, this sounds egotistical. I don't think you'll hear many pastors in our day say, imitate me. Imitate me. Be like me. No, we would be wiser than that. We would say imitate Christ. But we understand the weight. That this is why it's so important that if we fall as pastors, that others are hindered in their faith. They get hurt. Because really, when we say, I urge you to be imitators of me, is that people expect the spiritual leaders and spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to be Christ-like. And so he says, I urge you, be imitators of me. Don't follow these countless guides who may be telling you different things about Christ or, or to elevate different leaders. And, and again, these countless guides might include saved people who are, at this moment, confused and immature and, and leading the Corinthians to divide over silly doctrines. Paul's hope is that these divisive individuals would repent, that they would be truly believing and that they would be sanctified by his letter. But Paul's not being egotistical. He's telling them to, to, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It's to look to me as I look to Christ. Look to me as I point you to Christ. He's saying, I came and taught you Christ. And I am now telling you once again, look to me, I'm pointing you back to Christ. Notice in verse 17, Paul says, he refers to Timothy. He sends Timothy. Now, a note about Timothy is that we read about, we read a note in Philippians 2, verse 22. It's a very helpful note. You can turn your Bibles there. You can look at it really quickly. Philippians chapter 2, 22. He says this, right? Why would I send Timothy? But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So you see this language that's a direct cross-reference. He's telling them, I can't be there. I am the spiritual father. I can't be there. I send my spiritual son because it's important that you have the presence of a spiritual father. And if the spiritual father can't be there, then he sends his spiritual son. And I send my spiritual son because you know Timothy. The people in the churches know his proven worth. He lived a life that was worthy of the gospel. And he was a son to his spiritual father, Paul. And he served with me in the gospel. This, does this sound familiar at all? The father sends the son. The father admonishes but sends his son. The father can't be there or chooses not to be because there's other things. He sends by design his son who lives a life that's worthy of the gospel, whose worth is proven. 
to bring the message and represent the Father, but they are consistent. They are one. The letter penned, inspired by the Spirit of God. The letter, if delivered by Timothy, inspired by the Word of God. And that's the view of some, that Timothy may have delivered the letter. I take a conservative view. My, my interpretation, my understanding, based on my, my studies, and I'm finite, so I could be wrong, is that I believe that actually Paul has sent Timothy previously. So he sent Timothy, and then the letter comes. And when they read it, it's in the past tense. That's why I've, past tense in the original language, I've sent. I've sent. Greek students, Gabe, you can check that. Make sure that uh, I got that okay, that that's the past tense in the Greek. John Ng, online, please check the Greek Bible right now. Now, Paul couldn't always be present in Corinth. So he sends his spiritual son, someone similar to Paul. And this leads us to point number three. Point number three is fatherly presence. Right? So we see fatherly admonishment. We see fatherly example through the sending of Timothy. But ultimately, the father's presence is critical. So he wants to be there. Now, notice where he says this, first in verses 18 and 19. He says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But, in verse 19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. And so what he's saying there, so let me unpack that last phrase, which is the most confusing first, is that he's basically saying, when I come, I'm not going to see that these people who are all talk, right, the theme of boasting in worldly power and strong oratory skill and rhetoric and being very divisive, he's saying, I'm not going to see their talk. It's not going to have any weight. I'm going to see their power, and it's going to be powerless. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but I'm going to find out their power, that they have no power compared to the power of the gospel. All right, so... First, in verses 18 to 19, there were some in Corinth who were acting like arrogant children. So the theme of spiritual parenting continues. The illustration is akin to children taking advantage of the parents being gone. You guys know what it's like. Mom and dad are gone. You know what you're not supposed to do, but you're like, mom and dad are gone, so now's the time to act up. And that's the same situation here. You have these arrogant children. The spiritual father is gone, and so they're taking advantage. And Paul says, I plan to arrive if the Lord wills. That's his desire. And I will find out whether these arrogant people are truly powerful or not. So there's a little bit of sarcasm there. Are they all talk and no show? Or is the worldly power of boasting and arrogance, is it actually effective? And I will expose their power as phony in comparison to the kingdom power. Verse 20, it says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now, Paul here doesn't, go into an excursus. He doesn't actually explain what the kingdom of God is in this passage in his usage. We know that in 1 Corinthians 15, he refers to the kingdom of God in future tense. So if you're just limited of Corinthians, then you're looking at the future tense. But in the way that he writes, there has to be some present reality. So the best way to understand this is that Paul's referring both to 
the present effect of the kingdom power of God through the spiritual gifts and through the spiritual power of the gospel instilled in every believer. And he's pointing forward to the, to the kingdom of God, which values are very different from the values of this world. We can explain that more as we go into 1 Corinthians. But first, we know something about this kingdom power in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 to 5. He says, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of God. Uh, uh, I mean, your faith might rest in the wisdom of God. Ooh, that's a typo on my part. Sorry about that. It's that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of this world, but in the power of God. My, my Bible font is too small. I'm not willing to go electronic. Uh, so I started typing my Bible verses in here, and uh, sometimes I, I do heresy. <laughs> so that's why you guys should always open your Bibles. <laughs> so I wrote some heresy there, not by the power of God. It's actually not by the wisdom of, of this world, but the, by the power of God. And this is in contrast to the power of this world. Right? Now, you look at verse 21, he talks about a rod. This is not talking about a hot rod, right? but it says, What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a love in spirit of gentleness? This is not talking about a physical rod. This is a symbol, a symbol of discipline. So the, the rod symbolizes the discipline that would happen to the church. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 5, that his rod would be the rod of rebuke and correction. So he's actually already correcting them now with this letter. He's saying his hope is that through the spiritual discipline and through the disciplinary tone that comes through the rebuke of this epistle that they would repent so that when he comes in person, he can come with a spirit of gentleness and love because that's his desire. Because if not, he's going to come and rebuke them with the word of God. So Paul's not actually going to come and physically abuse them. And again, in our day, our society is so twisted that I have to say this, that Paul was not going to actually come with a rod and hit the Corinthians. Okay, because I know that some people are going to read the Bible in our council culture and look at that and say, wow, you know, Paul was an abuser. No, he was not talking about physical abuse. He was talking about the word of God, that he's going to come and bring the rod of God's word and he's going to discipline them with rebuke from God's word. So the big idea this morning is that Christ uses the admonishment, example, and presence of spiritual fathers to restore a fractured church. Christ uses the admonishment, example, and presence of spiritual fathers to restore a fractured church. There is a time and place where he uses spiritual mothers, but when it comes to strong discipline, for very proud people, you need men. Even though the strongest woman in the church would say, please send us strong men to talk to these stubborn, proud old men and stubborn young men. And so just like I said, every home needs the presence of a father. Every church needs spiritual fathers. Many of the Corinthians were saved, they were saints, but they were lost and confused, and they needed Paul to be their spiritual father and to admonish them and to unify them. Now, let me take you to Christ this morning in a, in a different way. I want to do so by applying 
the sweetness of Christ to the bitterness of COVID-19. And I want to apply the idea of spiritual fathers and mothers and those whom we imitate and how it seems strange when God takes many of these people too early. COVID-19 does not discriminate. It takes the lives of the godly and ungodly. There is no moral discrimination when it comes to COVID. There are some good, godly people who have passed away recently due to COVID. These are saints that you and I long to imitate. These are the spiritual fathers and the spiritual mothers, those types. There are also ordinary people that the Lord takes, but it begs the question often, why God? Why do you take the good ones? Why like this? Why so soon? They were way too young. Look how impactful they were. They could do a lot more for your kingdom. I think of people like the Apostle Paul dying way too early. Peter dying of persecution. I mentioned, if you read biographies of Charles Spurgeon dying of, of disease way too early, Calvin dying too early, many of the saints that you look up to dying too early. Now, we know that there are many godly saints that we look up to who God, for his divine purposes, allows to live a long life. But so many times we see godly people both those who are well-known and those who are faithful, ordinary saints, go too early. And so it draws my heart to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I want you all to take your Bibles and turn there. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I want you to see the heart of God the Father. God, why do you take our spiritual fathers and our spiritual mothers early? When we need them the most, why do you take those whom we seek to imitate? Because they imitate you so well. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but it all should reach repentance. A couple things exegetically that's going on here. First, this is the context of the Lord's second coming. That... The Lord Jesus Christ, he's not being slow by delaying his return. Because when he returns, there's no more chance for repentance. When he returns, it's done. Judgment is coming. It is the day of the Lord. He's not slow to fulfill his promise that he's going to come because he's just being slow. But it's because he's patient toward you. That is speaking to anybody that he's going to save, including some unrepentant sinners. He's patient toward you. He's not wishing that any should perish. Any, obviously, the majority of the world does not believe in Christ. So he's talking about anyone, anyone who would eventually come to Christ. He doesn't want any of them to perish. And it's, it's, it's a divine mystery who these people are. But he wishes, he wants, all should reach repentance for them to turn the heart of the Father for the lost is to bring many sons to glory in His own timing. and But He can be quick. He's slow to take the sinner. He does take sinners. 
But he's slow. So sometimes we're like, you know, I'm not saying this without, with, with, without love, okay? But if COVID-19 only ravished the prisons, I don't know if many of you would cry. If COVID-19 only took those who are obviously evil, I don't know if many of you would cry. And sometimes we wonder, God, why don't you take them? God, is, God can be quick to take his saints home at any moment. Because when you consider history and his story, it's filled with saints that he took home. To us, it's way too early. They're too young. In God's timing, they're right on time. And he would send more and send more. Because maybe he knew that they had reached a point in their life where these saints could say, Christ in me is to live, but to die is to gain. That these saints have reached a point where they could say, Christ in me, imitate me, not because I'm great. Imitate me, Christ in me is to live, to die is to gain. The very reason we imitate them is the very reason God was ready to take them because we imitate them because they truly are not of this world. And when we look at them, we say we imitate them as our spiritual fathers and mothers because they don't seem like they belong in this world. And God says, that's right. They've been sanctified to a degree where it's time to come home and be with Christ. And their departure makes the reality of God's kingdom ever more true. When he takes the men and women that we strive to imitate, we're simply left with the Christ that was within them. The Christ that they were trying to point us towards. The reason why we asked them, will you disciple me? Will you mentor me? Is because in them was Christ. And so it's like the outer shell fading away. It's like the shadow going away. And the substance is made true. And the substance of these imperfect men and women was a perfect Christ. So that when they fade away, all that is left is the light of Christ radiating through them. And we remember their memory. We preach and write and read about them. We celebrate their lives because we're celebrating Christ in them. Back to 2 Peter 3.9. Maybe COVID has shown us how quickly God takes the saints we imitate but not always the sinner, because his heart is not wishing that any sinner should perish, but it all should reach repentance. Because what we see in the horrors and the bitterness of COVID-19 is that God can take these good and godly people that we have to trust that behind the hidden veil of this seeming tragedy is the Father's Love, simultaneously bringing many sons to glory, at the same time he's saving sinners, making many a wretch his treasure. And he leaves the rest of us to take seriously then our call to turn to him and to repent and to take every living moment and to live it for the glory of Christ because by walking this narrow path, this is a challenge, beloved. If you seek to walk the narrow path that leads to Christ, 
And if you truly want to get nearer to Christ, you might actually find yourself standing before him in glory sooner than anybody else would want you to. Because you love Christ. And he loves you and he wants to take you. And on that day, the Corinthians would understand this. On that day, when you stand before God, hopefully as a spiritual father and mother, having made disciples, it will be true that we will not boast in anything. Corinthians had to understand this. No gifts, no power, nor wisdom, but we will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. So let us live with a Christ-like power where God would use us as spiritual fathers and mothers, live in a manner worthy of the gospel, where others would imitate us because they could see that our lives are wholly bound to his. And so I'll end with a, a verse from Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. It says, With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we know that there are some in our English congregation who have lost family members in the last three weeks. There are some who have lost loved ones to COVID. And some of these being the sp spiritual father and the spiritual mother types. But Lord, even in the COVID-19, we see the sweetness of your goodness that sometimes you take the saints because you knew they were ready. And you didn't take those who we would say, why don't you take them? Because they weren't ready, because you want to save them. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving us. Father, I do not take for granted the privilege and honor to preach your word. And Father, my heart truly breaks now for those in 2020 who have lost loved ones and those who have lost their faith Father, I pray, Lord, that the words of Corinthians would come like the loving, gushing admonishment of God the Father. That the rod of your word would magnify Christ. And that those who have lost their faith, that you would bring them back as the Father brings back many sons to glory. Lord, for all of us, I pray that this year that we would not take for granted our faith, our family, 
and the mission that you've given us to be disciple makers. Help us to live every single day like it's our last, knowing that if we remain faithful at any moment, Lord, it will be our last sermon, it will be our last hug, it will be our last moment to share the gospel. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would all exit these gates this morning knowing in our hearts it is yet not I, but Christ through us, Christ through me. May Christ radiate his light through each and every person this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.